Hello, my name is Mikey Barge, and this is the podcast from the Greater London Youth Foundation. And this is the Greater London Youth Foundation presents The Mikey Barge Show. Each week, we will talk to young people who are doing great things in their community or how they overcome failure or problems and so on. What have they learned from life's lessons that they can pass along to everybody? We will also talk to some adults who are doing great things for young people in their community sometimes too. Our sponsors are the John Lyons Charity, the Big Lottery Community Fund and Harrow Council. We would also like to thank the Young Harrow Foundation and Voluntary Action Harrow Cooperative. It's not all serious stuff, I promise you, but we take everything seriously sometimes. If you want to get involved, our details will be in the notes. Hello and welcome to another excellent episode of The Mikey Bard Show. On today's show, we are joined with the founder of the Kids Network, Sarah Woodcock. She has set up a brilliant organization. It's a community of children and young professionals connecting through fun, friendship and hardship for positive social change. We will catch up with her very shortly and she will guide us through the wonderful work that she's doing. But first, it's time for our news highlight of the week. Now, an international team of scientists working on a project in the United States say that they have discovered strong evidence for the existence of a new force of nature. They say that some subatomic particles, called muons, don't behave in a way predicted by current theories of physics. Breaking news! A fifth fundamental force of physics has just been discovered. Physics students, put down your pens and listen to this. Everything we know about the universe might be wrong. We found that the interaction of a muon, which is a heavy electron with a magnetic field, is not in agreement with our current best theory of physics. And clearly that's very exciting because it potentially points to a future, new laws, new particles and new forces in physics, which we haven't seen to date. Okay, so let me give you the basic overview of this experiment. Scientists in a lab were observing subatomic particles called muons, seeing how they behave in the magnetic field. All subatomic particles oscillate at natural frequencies. However, these muons were oscillating at higher frequency than normal, implying there's an external force acting on these muons. Essentially, this is a fifth fundamental force at play. Scientists believe that there are four fundamental forces of nature. One for gravity, another for electricity, and two nuclear forces, which control the behavior of atoms. Together, they explain the way the world works. Hey, I think it's time we take a look at our four fundamental forces. First, we have gravity. He binds us to the Earth and keeps planets in orbit around the Sun. Yes, gravity is fairly easy to understand. Any two things that have mass, atoms, people, planets, stars, are drawn towards each other. The bigger the mass, the stronger the pull. Electromagnetism. That's electricity and light, the root cause of chemistry. Electromagnetic force explains how things that are electrically charged, positively or negatively, interact with each other. A magnetic charge can create an electric charge and vice versa. Electromagnetism and how it pushes and pulls objects is responsible for the energy in things like batteries and magnets, but it can also include light, which is just waves of electromagnetic radiation. The other two forces I said are the strong force and the weak force. The strong force binds nuclei of atoms holding photons and neutrons in the center. The strong force is in fact the strongest of the four known forces. It's basically the glue that binds everything together. It is responsible for keeping protons and neutrons, which along with electrons make up atoms, stable and then allows those to bind into atomic nuclei. 
You have the weak force. The weak force is quite interesting because it's responsible for some kinds of radioactivity. The weak force is responsible for radioactive decay, the opposite to the strong force. It is what controls how things on a nuclear level fall apart. It's also responsible for fusion and it keeps the sun warm and bright. So this is what's happening now. These are the four fundamental forces we kind of believe in, but there's a new change. Let's establish what we know so I can tell you a little bit more about the new changes. You probably already know that we operate in an atomic theory where the world and things can be divided into tiny little pieces that can't be broken down any further and that they're separated from each other by empty space. This is essentially the atom. The ancient Greeks first theorized the atom. One of the first atomic theorists was Democritus, a Greek philosopher who lived in the 5th century BC. Democritus knew that if a stone was divided in half, the two halves would have essentially the same properties as the whole. He called these smaller pieces of matter atomos, the Greek word for indivisible. According to Aristotle, a famous Greek philosopher, there are four fundamental forces of nature, earth, wind, fire, and water. He believed that these were elements because they couldn't be divided. As you can see, these four fundamental forces are very different to the ones we have now. So what happened? What was the change? Let's go to Victorian times. It all started in 1803 when John Dalton proposed that atoms were solid spheres, identical to each other, that can't be created or destroyed. Then in 1897, J.J. Thompson comes up with a plum pudding model of atoms. And he basically said, atoms, they're not solid spheres, they can be divided they must have negatively charged particles inside them, which he called electrons. He proposed that atoms were a general ball of positive charge represented by the pudding with discrete electrons stuck inside them like plums. Hence the term plum pudding model. However, in 1908, Ernest Rutherford comes along and says, nah, it's the nuclear model after an experiment that he just conducted and proposed that instead of a general positive field of charge, there's some kind of compact nucleus which obtained all the positive charge of the atom. However, in 1913, Niels Bohr proposes that electrons orbit the nucleus like planets do the sun. Then Rutherford and a new guy called James Chadwick solidified that research, classifying these particles as protons and neutrons. And the rest is history. However, there's a piece in 1960 that not many people know about. In the 1960s, they said protons and neutrons weren't fundamental and that they were actually made up of even smaller things called quarks. Up quarks and down quarks. We're pretty much made of electrons and up quarks and down quarks. But there's more to it. Today, scientists go by the standard model of particles. You can look this up right now. The standard model of particles is a periodic table of sorts of all the particles they've discovered, such as photons, electroneutrinos, gluons, muons. That's the ones I mentioned earlier. There are many different types. There's the first generation, which are so important to us, which are very fundamental to us. And then you've got the second generations. These are the particles like muons. They kind of appear in existence for brief periods of time. We're talking microseconds and then they, they, they completely collapse on themselves. Then Peter Higgs comes along who proposes the Higgs boson. And he suggests that each of these particles have their own field. Just like magnets have a field of magnetism or the planet Earth has an invisible field of gravity. You can't touch it, but you know it's there. So basically all matter and everything is just a ripple moving through these cosmic fields that move through space and everything. And here's the thing, the field itself gives the particle a mass. So for example, electrons are massless until they meet the field and then that's what gives it its mass. 
So Peter Higgs wrote down in 1964, he wrote this brilliant sentence. If this cosmic energy field that gives mass to all particles exists, then you should be able to create a ripple or a disturbance in it, which would show up as a new particle. And that ripple is called the Higgs. Did you know that right now there are 30,000 particle accelerators in the world? And these are giant circular magnetized vacuums that essentially send atoms at astronomical speeds in astonishing temperatures. They're essentially smashing atoms together in conditions equal to that of the start of the Big Bang in order to understand the fundamental forces of nature. It's absolutely amazing when you think about it. So Fermilab has one of these particle accelerators. Fermilab is America's particle physics and accelerator laboratory. Their vision is to solve the mysteries of matter, energy, space, and time for the benefit of all. They strive to lead the world in neutrino science with particle accelerators. So what what will happen? At the Fermilab, they conducted what was called a muon G2 experiment. Okay, and they're looking at the wobbles of these muons. So essentially what they're saying is right now is that there is an external force which is affecting these muons, which can't be any of the four fundamental forces there has to be a fifth force. So hopefully this has cleared things up and explained some of the terminology you're hearing so you can start investigating this discovery for yourselves. Now, I think it's time we move over to our guest. Um, so Mikey, I'm from London. I'm born and bred London. Uh, Hounslow originally, but now I live in North, so I'm in Tottenham as we're talking. And your project, the Kids Network, how long has that been around for? So I first came up with the idea of the Kids Network back in 2016. I was working for some big charities. Um, I'm really, I'm passionate about London and Londoners and wanted to get back to that kind of grassroots community work. Um, and I'm really passionate about children and supporting children at an early stage in their life. So that transition between primary and secondary school. So it was 2016, I came up with the idea and then um, slowly but surely, I managed to become a full-time staff member by 2018. So I've been working full-time at the Kids Network for three years now. And what are the main activities that you um, do at the Kids Network? How do you engage with young people? So we support children between the ages of eight to 11, so predominantly in primary school, and we really want to build their confidence and their resilience. And we do that through one-to-one -one mentoring. So we recruit uh, local people, uh, volunteers from the community and match them with a child. And that's usually based on their interests. We ask children what they want from their mentor, who their role model is, what kind of characteristics um, they, they want to see in their mentor. And then we pair them up and then they have really fun and engaging experiences and activities together over the course of the year through their sessions. This seems very interesting, but let's go back to your past because I'm looking at your setup. I see a guitar there. I see books in the background. Are these yours? I don't know. But <laughs> the main thing is, let's talk about your schooling, your education. So what was your process? Um, what was your school life like? Yeah, good question. Um, so, yeah, growing up in London, it was very diverse. Um, in primary school, I think there's a lot of challenges that you face. You're very safe in that cocoon of um, teachers giving you that one-to-one -one attention, your friends that you've known since you were kind of five or six years old. And then suddenly you're parachuted into this kind of secondary school you're a little fish in a big pond and everything changes um, and then for me personally I suppose 
I didn't get into any of the schools in my local area. Um, I was rejected from a lot of them. So I had to go to a school uh, in Richmond and Twickenham, which was quite different to where I grew up and different sorts of people. Um, And I really saw the stark difference in, um, I guess, the class difference and the types of people that existed. And I had a really hard time at secondary school. Um, And I suppose that's kind of where my passion comes from in terms of helping children with that transition. Um, And I guess the other reason that really motivates me um, is that my mum had terminal cancer uh, when I was 11 years old. So I was a young carer through my um, secondary school years. And that's kind of relatable in terms of the types of children that we support in the challenges that they face. Uh, So, yeah, really passionate about supporting children early on to give them that um, support they need to make positive choices and feel really good about themselves what's it like on your day-to-day you know like on a day-to-day job that you do you wake up on Monday morning to Friday what what happens well it's a really long commute at the moment um from my bed to my my desk um in COVID lockdown times um a day-to-day job well I mean it's really changed a lot over the last three years and I've done every role in the organization from um forming partnerships with primary schools Uh, to training and vetting our volunteer mentors, to doing fundraising pitches, uh, social media posts. Um, But a lot of what I focus on at the moment is the strategy of the organisation. So looking at where we're going to be in the next three years, um, working with our board of trustees to make sure that uh, we have the right strategic direction and lots of kind of finance bits and HR, but still lots of different hats. And I think that's one of the best things about um, working at the Kids Network, that every day is different and you really get to evolve and grow as the charity is growing and our project grows. So you mentioned a couple of things, the Kids Network, where are they going to be in the next three years? Well, that's a great question. Um, Ideally, well, this year, COVID put a bit of a spanner in the works last year, and um, we had to pivot from our face-to-face model. Our volunteers work with children one-to-one in the community, as I mentioned, Um, but we worked in partnership with Brightside, which is a mentoring app which allowed children to talk to their mentors over uh, an app. Uh, They could share photos and links, and it really helped Uh, children through that lockdown period and build their mental health and keep those connections going Um, so really COVID has just shown us what need there is for a program like ours and I think everyone's feeling really disconnected and isolated and our mentors now are able to go back face to face so we're hoping to work with 400 children across London this year um, and really grow that number over the next three years so that we're in all boroughs of London um, because we feel that all children deserve a mentor and a role model in their life um, and we want to be able to provide that to them. Here's a side note, what's your views on digital poverty? Because you've mentioned getting kids on apps and things like that. I've been speaking to a couple of MPs recently and they put that term in front of me and I was like, digital poverty? And it seems that I'm quite late in the game. So is are you doing things to tackle digital poverty at the moment or is this is this an issue that's coming up? Yeah, and it has been one of the challenges that we found and surprised us really. Um, we had this amazing partnership with the app, but then children didn't have their own devices or even internet connection at home to be able to access some of these conversations. Um, so we've been working with kind of businesses um, 
to try and deliver devices to children in those situations and work with families to find ways where we can give them access to dongles or Wi-Fi's to get them through that difficult period. Um, but I think one of the other challenges that we see in additional to digital poverty is that kind of overcrowding and access to space. Children are living with their siblings at home with parents that are not able to work and finding that just private alone time to have a conversation has been really stressful for, for some of the children we work with. Uh, so yeah, that's definitely an issue that's front of mind for us at the moment. It sounds like you're doing amazing work. And I want to just kind of go back into the person who created this organization in the first place. Let's bring it back to you. Who are the three most influential people, would you say, that are to yourself? <laughs> That's a really hard question, Mikey. So come off uh, on the top of my head. It's very <laughs> cliche, but we talk about role models a lot, right? So um <laughs> God, I'm gonna sound so cringy now. Um, oh, I suppose my mum is is one of them. There, she's a real life role model to me. She came over from Ireland when she was young and worked her whole life. And for me, that kind of hard work ethic and that ambition and that drive um, really has influenced me in my path. In terms of other influential people in my life. I don't know. I guess it's such a cliche, but I'm going to say it anyway. But um, I think a turning point for me was reading um, Nelson Mandela's book, The Long uh, Walk to Freedom, back when I was in my early 20s. And for me, that just really highlighted the complexity of some of the issues that we face in society. I think a lot of the time with media and headlines, we distill things down to digestible messages, but actually the struggle that he went through and um, the fight that he's fighting is, is complex and still existing. And for me, that's always left a lasting impression. And then you're gonna push me for a third that I'm gonna think about now. Um, gosh. third influential person this should be much easier um it's tricky it's tricky people <laughs> buckle at two but I, I appreciate the determination to find the third okay so i would probably say oh my gosh um it's always people that are in your real life i think that have a lasting impact for mm. you so for me there was a teacher um in my college years that really encouraged me to stick with education um I was the first person in my family to go to university so she was really keen on pushing me forward to study a subject that um she thought I would be passionate about and supporting me through the application to university process um and that really has been yeah left a lasting impression I suppose in my life let me ask you another question. Um, what advice would you give to someone wanting to pursue a similar career to yours? Because you started your own business mm -hmm. um, and you're helping so many people as well. So it's kind of a unique kind of business. It's not like, you know, you're selling a product specifically. So mm -hmm. what kind of advice would you give to someone, especially in 2021, wanting to do something altruistic, as they say? Yeah, I think starting a charity, lots of people have the idea of wanting to start a charity. And I think it's um, it's a really noble idea. And I think it's about finding whether there are other things that exist that you can support and grow other people's initiatives or things that already exist in the world. But if not, 
I, I really feel like the resilience and um, determination and grit to, to keep on going and to really follow your convictions um, would be my piece of advice. As I mentioned in the intro, I had the idea in 2016. It wasn't two, until two years later that I was able to actually do anything about it. Um, and in terms of the practicalities around that, that involved me asking my current employer at the time whether I could reduce my hours and move from a full-time to a part-time contract because for a lot of people, it's not easy to just drop everything and then go and pursue a dream with no um, kind of pathway to income or being able to pay rent. So for me, I think it's definitely about the resilience and the determination and belief in yourself, um, the practicalities of how you're going to make that work and really having a roadmap in place. And then thirdly, I'd say really surrounding yourself with people that support you and believe in you, because I think um, there a lot of people don't have the courage to step up and make something happen. So um, really just having the people around you that are going to be your cheerleaders and elevate you to the level that you want to reach. I want to talk to you about um, many different things coming up, but what was your biggest failure? What was your biggest failure and what did you do to learn from it? <laughs> yeah, um, fails, failure is a funny thing because every failure has a learning embedded in it somewhere. Um, and I've made loads of mistakes along the way, um, some quite publicly, which have been embarrassing, uh, that I've, I've smoothed over. But um, I'm a very, very values-driven person. So I think um, when it came, when it's come to, to building the Kids Network team and, and who we have in terms of... Um, the staff members and who exists we've been quite um, values driven in being able to uh, build build people up and uh, nurture potential but actually where we are as a charity has been really difficult to to carry people that aren't at that stage in their journey yet so I think we made some um, decisions around people that perhaps uh, weren't as um, strategic as they could have been but really learning from that in terms of knowing when the right time is to initiate some of those values-based decisions um, and think about uh, the needs of the organization rather than your personal values. So making sure that that is in line and in check um, and you're always putting the organization and what, what is um, important to the Kids Network front and center of all decision-making. What is your proudest moment then, your proudest moment or a, a memory that you had at the Kids Network that you can recall? I know I put you on the spot, but just something you can recall that you're kind of really proud of that that happened or an interaction? I feel proud every day to get the Kids Network. Uh, I think the mentors are amazing. The volunteers that give their time, they volunteer every weekend for a year, which equates to about 100 hours of support that they give children. But I'm also really proud of what the children are able to teach our mentors um, and the journeys that our volunteers go on as a result of um, being put in contact with these children. Um, our volunteers meeting these children would never have crossed paths normally. And I think that was illustrated really well um, before COVID, we held uh, 
a kids choir event where our mentors and mentees came along and they practiced songs together um, and it culminated in this amazing event where actually all, all the people in that child's life could see how far that child had come as a result of having their mentor, but the mentors were able to reflect on all the things they gained from working with their mentee. And it's at those moments when you see um, the ripple effect of what you're doing um, can really build that sense of pride and um, yeah, make you feel like, yeah, maybe this, this is making a difference. And um, yeah, I feel like that was a great moment. Yes, you are making a difference. And I want people to find you online and I want people to support what you are doing. So where can people find you? Where can they find yeah. the Kids Network? <laughs> well, we've got a website. So we're uh, thekidsnetwork.org.uk. We're also active on Instagram. Our handle's at the underscore Kids Network. And the same for Twitter, at underscore the Kids Network. Um, so people can find us online there fantastic and thank you so much for coming on the show and we will be supporting the kids network and please come back on the show maybe later down the year and let us know what you're up to i'll appreciate that thank you mikey appreciate that awesome well it's the end of today's episode and if you've enjoyed this episode please go over to my instagram channel mikey barge or my youtube channel mikey barge subscribe follow got some great content on there i'll see you on the next episode goodbye